Good morning, New City. Welcome here this morning to worship. My name is Chris. I'm one of the pastors here. It's such a privilege to gather together to hear God's word. And if you're visiting with us, hope that you'll feel welcomed here. This is a a family that's on the way. Uh, There's no perfect people here, no perfect people allowed here. Uh, All of us are looking to find Jesus in every space and area of our lives and follow more passionately after him. So we're grateful that you're here this morning. We've been walking through a book of the Bible um, called Ephesians. It was written to a church in Ephesus in Asia Minor. And again, if you're just joining with us, uh, we're in chapter six. I wanna encourage you to maybe make your way over to chapter six uh, this morning, and we're gonna start what will be the conclusion uh, of the letter. All the messages, all the studies are online. We produce a study guide for every message. If you wanna go further individually or with your family or or in a circle, a group of some kind, invite you to do so as well. If you're able, would you stand with me this morning And we'll read our passage from Ephesians chapter 6, and this is verses 10 through 13. A final word, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you will be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. For we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Verse 13, therefore put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil that after the battle, you will still be standing firm. God's word to you this morning. You can be seated, thank you. A final word. Paul uses a a word that's similar to our English word, finally, to signal the conclusion of his letter to the church at Ephesus, a, a, a church that he loved, a church that he planted with a very special group of people. Ephesus was one of the five major cities in the Roman Empire. You'll remember back in Acts chapter 19 that describes the beginning of the early church that uh, Paul longs to go to Ephesus and preach Jesus there, but the Holy Spirit uh, prevents him. Uh, he longs to go north to Bithynia and preach the gospel, but the Lord prevents him. And instead, He goes to Macedonia and to Achaia and uh, places like Corinth and Thessalonica and Berea and preaches the gospel and learns new strategies about how to preach the gospel and engage people with Jesus. And then the Lord allows him to go with a special group of people to Ephesus and plant the church. And then he pastors there for three plus years, more than any other place uh, that he pastored at. Uh, He was in Ephesus. He loved this city. He loved this group of people. And you'll notice in the letter itself, there's not a lot of correction. It's a, le- it's a letter of encouragement, of reminder, and it's broken down into two different sections. I hope you'll never forget this. The first three chapters are what we believe. Uh, part of what makes us who we are as Christ followers is that we stand firm on a, a foundation of doctrine and belief about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. Uh, we don't ascribe to uh, the thoughts of this world that there is no truth. We believe there is truth and that we can uh, place our life on that truth and build our lives on that truth. Uh, but Paul doesn't stop there. In the second part of the book of Ephesians, it's not just enough to believe the right things. You got to put it into practice. 
And so the second half of the book, chapters four through six, is all about how we live. And so Paul writes this letter from Rome under arrest, awaiting execution. And he writes back to his friends and he reminds them, hey, don't forget what you believe and don't forget to live it out for everybody to see it. And then we get to chapter six, this uh, final chapter and this final word as Paul begins to kind of bring it home as it were uh, to his friends. Again, this was a church, just to remind you in context, this was a church that had influence all over Asia Minor. Uh, Acts chapter 19 reminds us that uh, uh, Paul would go uh, to the major arena there in Ephesus and he would reason with people in the city and he would preach the gospel so that every person in Asia Minor heard the gospel. Imagine that. And that's our call today, by the way, as a local church is to preach the gospel and to pray for every man, woman, and child to come to understand Jesus, to find him, and to passionately follow after him. After Paul left, he uh, imparted leadership to Timothy, one of his spiritual sons. So Timothy was the pastor at Ephesus for some time. And then uh, church history tells us that John the Apostle actually pastored in Ephesus, and John brought with him Mary, the mother of Jesus, to be a part of the church at Ephesus. So no, no pressure on preaching those sermons, Mary's just sitting out in the audience and listening. This was a a really influential church, an awesome church, and Paul wants to encourage them. And I I hope you'll hear those words today in New City for our church, uh, that we'll be committed to building our church on the firm foundation of who Jesus is. Uh, But we won't just believe the right things. We'll live it out, and our belief will become ethic. We'll live it out in every kind of relationship. And that's what Paul wants to get after. And and now he's going to bring it all uh, to a conclusion here with with, with these words, um, with the word finally. Which, again, you could understand the word finally in a couple different ways, right? You could hear the word finally like finally. Or you could hear it finally, right? Maybe after um, five months of studying Ephesians, you're going, finally. But what Paul writes here is, it's, it's finally. And, and everybody should just sort of like scoot up a little bit in your chair. And Paul is signaling to us, finally, I want to say one final thing to you. And I think you would agree with me that final words are important. And so this should cause us to sit up a little straighter and lean in and listen to these words that Paul writes to the church at Ephesus as he, as he says, hey, finally, I want, to, I want to tell you one more thing about how to stand on this belief of who Jesus is in a world that says there is no belief, nothing we can believe, there is no truth, you just believe whatever you want to believe. Paul says, no, 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 here's who Jesus is, we're going to build our life on this belief and we're going to live out of that. And then he says, finally, I want to share one final thing with you. And it might surprise you what he shares. The theme over the next three weeks as we bring this to a conclusion, the, our study of, of Ephesus uh, and, the, and, the, and the, Paul's letter to them is the theme of war. Paul wants to talk about war. He wants to talk about battle, but it may not be the kind of war or battle that you're thinking about. He wants to talk about a spiritual battle that rages all around us. So as he's talking to this church, again, that he loved and he spent so much time with, he wants them to understand what they believe. He wants them to live it out in all kinds of relationships and spaces in their life. And then he wants to give a final word. And the final word is, hey, don't forget, you're in a war. And here's the deal. The war has been decided, but the battle rages on. And Paul wants his listeners, he wants each of us to understand that. 
and to be very aware of that. And the fact that God has a battle plan for this spiritual battle that rages all around us. And what we're going to learn over the next three weeks together as a church is this, that we have a supply line. God's battle plan includes a, a supply line. Our new executive pastor here, he's been here a couple of months, Gabe Smith is a West Point grad. He was a logistics officer in the army and he always reminds me that the army runs on its stomach that you've got to supply the army if you want to keep moving. And Paul's going to remind us that as well, that the supply line has to be secure. And our supply line is the unlimited resources of God. Paul's going to remind us of that. And then we face a threat. Uh, we face a threat from an enemy who would like to still kill and destroy all of our lives. He would like to destroy everything good that God has given to us. And then Paul reminds us in God's battle plan that we have a posture that we enter into battle with. And our posture is actually a posture of humility, that we're able to stand firm as we plant our feet on God's truth and stand in his, in his life. And then fourthly, we're going to need training to be God's people and to engage in this spiritual battle around us. We're going to need some training to wear this uh, special protective armament that God has designed and provided for us as we engage in battle. And then finally, Paul's going to remind us in the next three weeks, we'll hear this, that there is a strategy for victory, that God has a strategy for no less than victory. And the strategy is prayer. As we seek God's will and his power in every space and area of our lives. Now again, this theme might surprise you because you say, well, I thought as Christians we were meant to live at peace with people. We are meant to live at peace with people, but we're also meant to be at war with the evil spiritual forces around us. Paul uh, is drawing from the biblical narrative, and specifically, I want to share with you a passage from Isaiah that, again, might surprise you. Isaiah was a, a prophet, so remember, a prophet hears from God and speaks to people, God's people. A priest does what? A priest looks in on God's people, hears from God's people, cares for them, and takes their concerns to God. Isaiah was a prophet. He heard from God and spoke to God's people. Listen to his words from Isaiah chapter 11, verses 4 and 5, writing about Jesus some 700 years before Jesus would, would come. But with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with the rod of his mouth. Is, wait, is this Jesus? With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be the belt, will be his belt, and faithfulness the sash around his waist. This sounds like a warrior. Isaiah is describing Jesus coming in victory. And Paul is drawing from this imagery as he describes this spiritual armament and the battle that rages around us and being prepared for that. What Isaiah is describing is a Messiah who would come to defend the powerless and vindicate his people. Now, this is interesting, and, and my wife Jen taught me this that when kings in ancient times would enter into cities, when they would come in peace, they would signal to the city that they were coming in peace by riding into the city on a donkey. When they would uh, give a signal to cities that they were riding into, when kings would, that they were coming in victory, or uh, as a conquering king, they would come on a white horse. Now, this is interesting, right? Because Jesus rides into Jerusalem on what? On a colt, a young donkey. 
signaling to all of Jerusalem that he's coming for peace and in peace. Remember, Paul wrote to the church at Rome, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, Romans 5.1, we now have what? We now have peace with God. And this is the gospel, that we have peace with God through Jesus, that Jesus came to make peace with us and to invite us to have a peaceful shalom with him. And it's only through his sacrifice on the cross and the atonement that he accomplished for us that we can now have peace with God, and that's the gospel. You've probably heard that word, the gospel. What does the gospel mean? It means through the person and the work of Jesus, God has fully accomplished salvation for you and for me, and that's good news. Because without the gospel, I'm left to myself. And I'm left in a world of I've got to do all of these things to prove my worth to God. And that's what religion is. Religion says I've got to prove my worth to God. The gospel says God proved your worth to him that he sent his son Jesus and died in your place. And now you can have peace with God, not through your works, your morality, your religiosity, but your simple trust and faith in God. And Jesus signals that to us by riding as a king, the king of kings, into Jerusalem in humility on the back of a colt, a young donkey signaling peace. But listen to this. Years later, the apostle John would write these words from his revelation, from Revelation 19, same Jesus. Then I saw heaven open and a white horse. What did kings ride into cities with if they were coming in victory? A white horse. It was standing there. Its rider was named Faithful and True, for he judges fairly and wages a righteous war. His eyes were like flames of fire, and on his head were many crowns. A name was written on him that no one understood except himself. I wonder what that is. He wore a robe that was dipped in blood, the blood that was shed on the cross, and his title was the Word of God. Remember, John described Jesus as the Word made flesh. The armies of heaven, again, this spiritual warfare metaphor, the armies of heaven dressed in the finest of pure white linen followed him on what? You got it, white horses, no donkeys now. From his mouth came a sharp sword to strike down the nations, the evil powers of this world. He will rule them with an iron rod. He will release the fierce wrath of God the Almighty like juice flowing from a wine press. On his robe at his thigh was written the title, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. What do you you hear in that? This is not Jesus coming as the one who's coming in humility and peace to make peace through his death and sacrifice on the cross. This is Jesus coming the second time as the victor and signaling to everyone that he is a conquering king. And it reminds us today of our bottom line that we're fighting a battle. That's what Paul wants to get across to the church at Ephesus to each of us as he finishes his letter. We're fighting a battle, but the war, Revelation 19 is one. And the war was won at the cross, and more specifically at the empty tomb and the resurrection. But the battle rages on until Jesus returns again. And so Paul wants his audience to know, each of us, that we need to prepare for battle. And the next three weeks, we're going to talk about that. 
And today I want to look at verses 10 through 13 in Ephesians 6. So if you have your scriptures, open up there. If you have a pen, you, you, you have a pencil, you've got eyeliner, you've got anything, a piece of bark, anything that you can take notes with. Guys, uh, come in here and take notes, okay? Come in here and take notes. So many times, right, we're just asking God throughout the week, Lord, what are you saying? What are you saying? What are you saying? And remember, when we want to know what God is saying, what do we do? We go back to what God has said. And so many times the Lord speaks to us and we just forget about it. Do you, you, you know the whole Old Testament, all, all 39 books of the Old Testament can be summarized in one word? Remember. We got to remember. And part of the way we remember, I mean, you know your, how you learn, but part of the way we remember is we mark up our scriptures you know, look at mine. We mark up our scriptures, we take, we take notes, bring your notebook, whatever works for you. Take notes on your phone as long as you're not making your grocery list and just remind, remind yourself rem, remind yourself what the Lord is speaking to you today. It, it, it's, it's not about me, you know, standing up here just giving a message and you go, oh, that was, I'll give it a seven out of a 10 or whatever. I mean, that was okay. It made me laugh. It's, it's, about, what, it's about what God is speaking to you, right? This isn't a speech, this is a sermon. What's the difference? A sermon takes God's word and stands in between God's word and God's people. And it's, the, it's not me. It's the power of the Holy Spirit that takes his word and imparts it into your life, into your heart. So all of us, myself included, we're like, we, just, we sit up now and we just listen to God and God, you speak to us and you apply it specifically to our hearts. So our text today is Ephesians 6, 10 through 13. And here's how Paul wants to start by talking about the spiritual battle and how we engage in it. Listen to these words. He says, be strong in the Lord, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. So the, the, the Greek word there, strong, is in the imperative and it's in the passive voice. There's different voices in the Greek language. And what this means is that it's translated as be encouraged or be made strong. You don't need to raise your hand. How many of you need to be made strong today? And what Paul is saying to us is you can't be strong in your own intellect, in your own power. You have to be made strong. Now, how are we made strong? Now, this, this is so counterintuitive to what we learn. We're made strong as we admit our own weakness. So the way that we, the way that we stand up tall in the kingdom of God is by, is by coming low. This is why Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they're going to see God. They can actually see who Jesus is and see who God is because they come in humility. So our way to be strong is actually to come low. And so Paul is saying here in Ephesians 6 verse 10, two different things. He's saying, be strong. And then he's saying, you can't be strong. Be strong, but you can't do it on your own. The only way that we gain spiritual strength is by admitting our weakness and our humility, which can be very difficult for us. Actually, our, our own physical strength, our intellect can be a liability in a spiritual battle. Let me be very clear. You and your own strength and power are no match for your enemy. He's a very strong foe. And if you think you can match him, you're wrong. And Paul reminds us of that. In fact, think about King David, mighty King David, the warrior for God. Listen to his words in Psalm 20, verses seven through nine. And maybe go back and read it this week on your own. He says, some nations boast of their chariots and horses, 
But we, speaking of the people of God, boast in the name of the Lord our God. Those nations will fall down and collapse. They will be humbled. But we will rise up and will stand firm, a theme that Paul's going to use here in Ephesians 6. Give victory to our King, O Lord. Answer our cry for help. And here's what I want you to do if you're taking notes. I want you just to circle or write out that last word of of David's prayer there in Psalm 20, verse 9. What what is it? Help me out. Help. You you want to know what the, the, the one word prayer that God longs to hear more than any other prayer in your life? Help. Help me, God. And some of you in the room this morning, some of you watching right now online, this needs to be your posture and your prayer. You've, you've tried everything of your own strength and your own power. And what God wants to do is to get you to a place that unless he comes through, you're through. And you pray like David did, God, give me the victory, give us victory. Answer my cry for, and here's the word, help. I need your help, God. Here's, again, mighty uh, King David, the, the warrior for God that is saying every other nation boasts in their own strength, but we as God's people, we boast in the strength of our Lord. And our strength comes from praying this one word prayer that God longs to hear more than any other prayer in your life, and it's the word help. Because in that one word, you're admitting that I can't do it in my own strength. But Lord, you can, you're strong. When I think of all this, Paul wrote, remember this? In Ephesians chapter three, he concludes that first part about what we believe with this beautiful prayer and benediction. He says, when I think of all this, I fall to my knees and I do what? I pray. I pray the Father, the creator of everything in heaven and on earth. I pray that from his glorious unlimited resources, our supply chain for the, for the army, he will empower you with what? with inner strength through his spirit. So let's pay attention here. As Jesus followers, for those of you who follow Jesus, our strength comes from the spirit of God and it comes inside first and then works its way out. Everything in culture in the world says that you've got to get strength from things that are exterior and you've got to show everybody your strength out here, whether it's financially or whatever it might be. But, but, but what Paul reminds us is that our strength only comes from the spirit of the Lord and it comes on the inside first and it works its way in our hearts and our spirit outwardly to other people around us. And I wanna remind someone in the room of this today. Okay, everyone watch this. That there's nothing in your life, what can we inference from these passages that we're hearing about strength and God's help and his power and our weakness and humility that there's nothing that you're facing today that God's strength and his power can't overcome. And I know it may feel like, I don't know, you know, that, that God just can't work in this situation, that his power is not going to be enough, but we're reminded today in the passages already that we've covered so far, just this one verse, Ephesians chapter six, verse 10, that there's nothing that God's strength and power can't overcome in your life. And, and I believe there's someone in here today that needs to hear that. You need to be reminded of that today, that God's strength is sufficient. But his strength comes from his Holy Spirit inside, internally first. God wants to do a work in your heart so that he can do a work through your life. Do you hear that? 
Remember what the angel said to Mary? Nothing is impossible for who? For you? For me? (laughs) No, nothing is impossible for God. The song we just sang together here at our South Park location, Same Power, that comes from Romans chapter eight, when Paul reminds us that this is crazy, that the same power, the spirit of God that resurrected Jesus from the dead is alive in us. The same Holy Spirit that empowers us with inner strength. So Paul reminds us here, verse 10, Ephesians chapter six, to be strong, to be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Remember when Joshua, just real quickly here, Joshua chapter one, Joshua is taking over uh, for Moses and he's going to lead the people of God. This is his charge to lead the people of God and to cross over into the promised land. And remember what the Lord says to Joshua over and over and over again, through the the voice of Moses, to be strong and courageous, to be strong and courageous. Three different times, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. And I hope that's a word for someone in the room this morning, that you would hear, again, not on your own strength, but through the strength of of the Holy Spirit, that you can be strong, that you can be courageous for whatever you're facing today. In the same way that God called Joshua and God calls each of us to be strong and courageous, we're reminded through Jesus, right? This is interesting. Jesus's name literally means Joshua. It's Yeshua, the one who saves. So Jesus literally is the second Joshua. Joshua taking the promised land in strength and courage. Jesus coming as the fulfillment, Joshua being a forerunner of Jesus, of taking a spiritual ground for us and providing for us. And now providing his same strength and courage for whatever we might be facing today in our lives. And then Paul goes further, well, well, how do we do that? How how can we be strong in the Lord and, and in his mighty power? Well, he says in verse 11, follow along here with me, to put on all of God's armor so that what? So that you'll be able to stand firm And that theme repeats itself. You want to circle that word stand. That you'll stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. Paul's now going to explain how Christ followers are able to be spiritually equipped to withstand the assault of their enemy. And this word here is endio, which is the Greek word to put on. And I just want to remind you because Paul loves this word. And he uses it all throughout his letters. You know, Paul wrote half of the New Testament. And he uses that word over and over again. He says, uh, put on your new self in Ephesians chapter four that we studied in verse 24. He he says, uh, put on your new self in Colossians chapter three, uh, verse 10. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember that? In Romans chapter 13, verse 14, he says, put on the attributes of God, who God is. Instead of taking on the attributes of other people and the culture, put on the same word, the attributes of God in Colossians chapter three. And then he says, uh, put on the spiritual armor. This isn't the only place in Romans 13 and 1 Thessalonians 5, he talks about putting on armament. And then this is the most descriptive and extensive word that Paul gives here about putting on this full armor of God. And that term, the full armor of God, if you're taking notes, indicates a a full set of armament. And he's using a metaphor like a Roman soldier, a a foot soldier would be equipped with all, all kinds of equipment and armament to 
to face the enemy and to go into battle. Paul here knows that his audience would understand that. They would have seen a Roman soldier in his uh, full armament, and he says, you're getting a, a, a commissioned a full set of armament as well as God's people uh, to, to walk into battle and to stand firm. And why does God give us this armament? Look at verse 11. He answers the question. Why does God give us a, a, a full armament to wear into this spiritual battle? So that, circle those words, so that you will be able to do what? To stand firm against the strategies of the devil. Now, what do we learn here? Paul uses the word strategy, that the evil that's coming against you in your life is not random. It might feel random, but it's not. There's strategic thought that goes into it. In other words, the enemy has a battle plan. And he's got your name and your family's name. He's got our church's name up on his uh, wall. And there's a plan. This is not random. These are strategies and schemes of the devil to come against you, to do his threefold work of stealing, killing, killing, and destroying everything in your life because he hates you. And he hates everything about you, and don't ever forget it. And it's not random. It's devised, and Paul wants us to remember that. And in order to be able to stand firm against this, um, this strategy that's, that's been uh, placed against us by the enemy that, that is devised and, 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 and is intelligent, it's not random. We're gonna have to put on the full armor of God to do that. And so we're charged with, winning the vi- with not winning the victory, but, but standing firm. And I want you to, to see that, that uh, nowhere in here does it say, you need to go and win the battle. The battle's already been won by the Lord. What Paul says is, you need to do what? You need to stand firm against the attacks that the enemy brings in your life, against your marriage, against your faith, against your kids. Uh, stand means more than just hold your ground, by the way. This term also can mean a forceful offensive against the opponent. So the term is repeated three different times here. Look at verses 13 and 14. It's repeated over and over again. It it, it reminds me just real quickly of uh, Jesus having an interaction with his disciples in Matthew chapter 16. And he he says, you know, who, who do people say that I am? Do you remember this? And they say, well, some people say that you're Elijah. And other people say you're Jeremiah. And other people say you're a different prophet. And then Jesus asked the question, which he asked each of us to answer, by the way, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter can't help himself. Remember this in Matthew 16? He says, you're the Christ, you're the son of God. And Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, Peter. Uh, Heaven, the father revealed this to you. And then he gives this incredible blessing to Peter. He says, uh, your name is, is, is Peter, Simon, the rock. And on this rock, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, some people have misunderstood this to mean that it was gonna be on Peter and his apostolic ministry that the church was gonna be built. That's not what Jesus was saying. What Jesus was saying is, on that truth that you just espoused, Peter, that I am the Christ, the Son of God, on that simple truth and faith, I'm going to build my church on that. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it. Now, gates are what? They're a defensive mechanism, meaning that the church is advancing against the gates of hell. 
So there's a, there's a reality of we're standing firm and holding our ground, but we're also taking ground from the enemy as we, as we stand on the truth of who Jesus is and we proclaim the gospel in this world. And then Paul reminds us, let's continue verse 12. He says, our battle, our battle is not against flesh and blood enemies but against evil rulers and authorities of this unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Whoa. So Paul says, you know, we're fighting this battle, and some of you need to hear this today, because you walk in the room and you think, here's all my list of my enemies, and it's all names of people. And Paul says, no, you have an enemy, but it's not who you think it is. It's not the person that cut you off in traffic. It's not the person that did you wrong. It's not the person that lied about you. It's not the person that posted something on social media about you. It's not that person. Actually, there's an enemy behind all of that. And it's not flesh and blood. This idiom that Paul uses to describe, it's not against mankind. It's not against other people. You have an enemy, but it's not who you think it is. And the word that he uses here about battling and fighting is typically used for Greek wrestling. How many wrestlers are in here, right? It's an up-close battle. In other words, you're not fighting by proxy. You're not sending someone else out. There's this this wrestling that has happened between between good and between evil. And it's a a back and forth, close-up type of hand-to-hand combat. There are four different groups that are mentioned here. Again, if you're taking notes, just underline this or write these down. Uh, Paul says four different uh, groupings or rankings, if you will, of evil, Uh, this evil force that we're battling against. There's evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, uh, mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. So this probably... Uh, helps us understand the, the ranking of evil powers. Just like we have rankings in a, in a physical army, uh, the evil forces, this army of evil has different rankings, different, different ordering. Remember, uh, Paul says there's a strategy. This is very well thought out. Don't underestimate the enemy. C.S. Lewis reminds us that, you know, at the fall, when Satan and all of the, the demons fell, fallen angels, there was a certain number of them that fell. We don't know the exact number, but we know was a, a, a large number. We know that it was a, a grouping of angels that, that fell. Again, we don't know the exact number, but we know it was a grouping. And what Lewis argues is that they're not able to regenerate or procreate, which may sound weird, but think about that. There's, there's no more evil forces uh, today than there was at the fall, but there's more people and so what Lewis argues is the world expands, the population expands, and, 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 and people begin to populate more and more of the earth, and there's more complexity in society and civilization, that the enemy has to become more complex, that he's got to have even sharper strategies because he doesn't have more forces. He's got to be even more strategic about how he uses those forces. So evil forces we know in the scriptures are assigned to different territories. I don't have time to go into all this today, but you can look in the book of Daniel. You can go back and listen to our study in Daniel, and you can see that there, were, there was a, a prince of Persia that, that had oversight over a specific country and territory. So we know that demonic forces have powers uh, over certain territories. There's different parts of this world that I believe that demonic forces are standing guard over trying to prevent the gospel from coming into those places. Some of you have gone to different areas to preach the gospel. Uh, I've, I've been a part of that. I can tell you, get off certain planes in different places, you can feel it. 
You can feel oppression. You can feel different forces working against you to keep the gospel from being preached in those areas. I think there's uh, demonic forces that are over different types of sins, uh, different uh, spiritual forces that are over different vices and sins in our life that we battle with. I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's all kinds of order to that. You need to know this is an intelligent enemy that has your name up on a wall, different rankings, different battle plans. And so Paul says, please be aware of that. Uh, one more thing, just, just, just personal. I, I've learned too, when it comes to spiritual warfare, that children are oftentimes very sensitive to spiritual things and particularly spiritual warfare. And I think this is because of what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 18. Remember, he calls a little child in the circle and says, if you, if you wanna enter into the kingdom of God, you've gotta become like one of these. And he, and he, and he doesn't mean that it's um, you know, a lack of intellect, but what he means is a simple faith, a simple trust, a, a spiritual eyes to see what's happening. I, I think sometimes the older we get, the more we, we cover all of these things and we, we try to convince ourselves that there, there's nothing spiritual happening around us. There's not a battle raging around us. There's not demons. There's not angels. There's not this warfare. But children oftentimes are very sensitive to these things. And some of you uh, with children in your own home right now, they've come to you and said that they've maybe seen things or, or dreamed about different things. And I just would encourage you before dismissing them to listen and to hear what they're saying. Maybe they've entered into a home or a different place and they've been sensitive to something and they're aware of something that's happening in the spiritual realm. I don't know if that resonates with, with some of you, but experientially and as a pastor, I've seen that happen over and over again as little children sometimes have a radar and a sensitivity for things that are happening in the spiritual realm. Let's, let's finish here with verse 13. Paul says, therefore. Now, whenever we see this verse in the scripture or this word in the scripture, therefore, what, what, what should we do? Yeah, we should ask ourselves, what is it there for? What's it there for? Therefore here is bridging verse 12 and verse 13. So Paul says, therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so that you'll be able to, to resist the enemy uh, in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you'll, be able, you'll still be standing firm. So basically what he's saying is, uh, because verse 12 is true, we've got to put on every piece of God's armor so we'll be able to resist the, the enemy in the time of evil. And I just want to teach real quickly about the time of evil there in verse 13. Um, this is a phrase that Paul uses multiple times. You may remember back in chapter 5, verse 16, he says, the days are evil. The time is evil, so make use of every opportunity. What is Paul talking about? Is, is he saying that days are evil in themselves or time is evil? No, here's what he's talking about. Uh, he's talking about the time between the first coming of Jesus in the manger, as we know Jesus Messiah, and the second coming of Jesus that we read about in Revelation 19. That these are the evil days between the first coming of Jesus and the second coming of Jesus. And we need to make the most of every opportunity between those times because the days, the time is evil. In other words, what it means is this is a critical time, the day of evil, in the life of the church, of God's people, that we can expect demonic attacks uh, to be at their worst and that uh, we can understand the things that are happening in this world. And you can just read, uh, you know, go read the front of a newspaper today. And you can see demonic activity and evil forces in this world and all kinds of things that are being stirred up. And what Paul says is that you can expect this and even more because the enemy is making his last stand. 
He knows that he's been defeated, but the battle rages on. Maybe a good way to understand this in conclusion today is to think about D-Day in June 1944 and V-Day in May 1945. When the Allied forces took the beach at Normandy and established a beachhead in western France, the war was essentially decided. But there was a, a long and bloody march to Berlin that lasted almost a full year. And that might be a good way for us to understand this phrase, the, the evil days, the time between the first coming of Jesus, his life, his ministry, his, his death, resurrection, ascension, and his second coming that we read about on a white horse in Revelation 19. We can expect the enemy to, to give everything he got, that he has, everything he has got, to give everything he's got, to give everything he's got, because he knows the conclusion has already been decided. So why save any ammunition? You know, fire every cannon, and he is. But Paul reminds us when we're, when we're strong in the Lord, right? When we're strong in the Lord, when we, when we put on the full armor of God, when we realize we're in a spiritual battle, that it's not against flesh and blood. You think you have all these enemies, you have a enemy, an enemy that attacks your soul and your, and your very life in Christ. When we resist the enemy and his, in this evil time, we'll be standing firm, Paul says here in verse 13, when the battle is over with. Let, let me say it a different way. Hopefully you won't forget this. We're, we're, we're in a battle. That much is clear from just the first installment here of the conclusion. We've got two more to come. We're in a battle, but you need to go today knowing that the war has been won. We're in a battle, but the war has been won. But just remember, there were a lot of casualties between D-Day and V-Day. The war, the war had been decided, but the battle raged on. And, and as followers of Jesus, we, we can't engage in this spiritual battle in our own flesh. It's only through the power of the Spirit of God in our inner person, working from the inside out, that allows us to stand firm. We're going to continue next week in verse 14. I want to encourage you to read ahead, Ephesians 6, uh, 14 and following, as Paul begins to describe each piece of this armament that God has given to us to engage in this spiritual battle. I hope I'll see you here next week as we continue. Let's pray together. God, you have reminded us that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, in Jesus' name. And so I pray for each of my dear friends here today that they would remember your truth, that there is a battle, but the war has been won, and no weapon formed against us shall prosper in the mighty name of Jesus. So help us to be strong, not in our own flesh, our own intellect, but to be strong in you, Jesus and to put on the full armor of God, every piece of armament that you've designed so that we can engage in this spiritual battle. Help us to stand firm and help us to remember this truth that we sang today, that because, because you live, because you live, Jesus, we can face tomorrow. We have hope because you live. In this world that is passing away, we have hope because of you. And we pray this in the mighty name of Jesus and all God's people said together, amen, amen, amen. Amen, would you stand as we continue in worship?
Thank you so much for being here this morning. There's something special about being together as brothers and sisters, as a family. And you know, God uses each one of you in each other's lives.
to remind each other to find your strength in the Lord and to pray for each other. Um, we want to pray with you. We want to pray for you. If you have a prayer request that you'd like our prayer team to pray for, please go to newcity.us slash prayer. A few of us will also be up here this morning if you'd like to be prayed for. Um, don't forget, if you're new, drop by Connection Point, or if you just want to find out ways to get connected here at New City, drop by Connection Point. And lastly, one of the ways that we respond to worship is through our giving. You can give at the website online, newcity.us give, or on your way out in the drop boxes. This was a, this is a, a blessing uh, that came through Aaron the priest in Numbers chapter 6, and I love how it's described. It's, uh, this is how uh, Aaron was to put the name of God on the people. So as we talk about the mighty name of God and living in his power uh, in this spiritual battle around us, would you receive the name of God today? May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious unto you and lift up his attention towards you. And may the Lord today and all throughout this week fill you with his strength, his peace, and his power. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen, amen. Love you, New City. Thanks for being here.